Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. I want to continue uh, with a message this morning entitled The Prayer Principle. But right before I get into that, I want to also give a little announcement that next Sunday is National Sanctity of Life Sunday. Anyone ever heard of that? You know, this the month of January, uh, this, uh, this January is the 47th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision, which changed the face of America. And abortion was legalized, and there have been millions and millions of uh, abortions that have taken place in these last 47 years. Next Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I'm going to preach uh, a message entitled The Sanctity of Life. And I just want to say it would be a great Sunday if you have uh, uh, some babies or young children that you have not had dedicated to the Lord let us know this week, and next Sunday would be a beautiful time to do that on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. So just call the church office and let us know if you have a, a young one that you'd like to have dedicated. Well, the prayer principle. I want to begin by reading Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 11. People love, they just love to uh, to read this and and. And to, they, they, they think they know what it means, but a lot of times it's not what they mean. But everybody loves this, uh, loves to stand on this verse. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Don't you love that verse right there? How many of you have, have read that before? And man, you've just really tried to take advantage of that one right there. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Don't you love that section of Scripture right there? Prayer is certainly one of the most important disciplines that we can develop in our lives as Christians. And Jesus was very, very disciplined in his prayer life, and he has a lot of, uh, to say about prayer in his teachings. The Bible teaches us that prayer should be an everyday part of our life. Amen? Not the first three days of the year. Every day of our life, because it says our spiritual health is completely dependent on our prayer life. So if our spiritual health is dependent on our prayer life, it should become very obvious that there is no other aspect of our life that is more important than our prayer life. So this morning, I want to break down a few of the aspects of prayer and, and how prayer affects our lives. The first aspect of prayer I want to talk about is prayer requests. I mean, when we read that scripture that we just read, it just, boy, it just revs us up to offer up some good prayer requests, doesn't it? Ask and we're going to receive. And man, we just, we start asking. 
there can be very little doubt here that Jesus, his teaching is, is very personal to us in nature. He's speaking to us, each of us individually. The text begins with this invitation to enter into your time of prayer by asking and seeking and knocking. So I think the important thing to know here is that this, all of this needs to be directly connected to verse six, Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You get the connection there between ask and you will receive, and but remember, seek first the kingdom. So when you're praying for that new red Ferrari, you have to say, now wait, is this going to further me in my, in my kingdom walk? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's perfectly fine for us to petition God with asking and seeking and knocking as long as our prime objective is to draw closer to him and his kingdom, not just for materialistic desire. This is not everybody's favorite sermon. I understand that. So what this scripture is not saying is that it's perfectly fine just to ask God for just everything and anything our little hearts desire. The idea is that we come and we come asking and seeking and knocking for things that are within God's will for our life. It's very important that we understand the character of God when we come into prayer. We, we should never view God as kind of our little personal Santa Claus in the sky. And we need to make sure that we don't concern ourselves with just trivial things in our times of prayer and ignore matters of much greater importance in our life. I've always liked this illustration. This is a true story. In 1952, who was alive in 1952? I was not. I was six years from existence in 1952. But there was a man that had gone to visit his son at Princeton University. And he couldn't find the right building that he was looking for. And he was looking around, looking for someone to ask directions. And he stopped and he asked this just wild-looking, eccentric uh, old guy with a bad case of crazy hair. He says, could you tell me where such and such building is? And the old man told him where it was. He walked right to it. He found his son. And he told him about this encounter he had with this strange-looking old guy that gave him directions. And his son started getting this look on his face. He said, Dad, do you know who you were talking to? His dad said, no. He said, you were talking to Albert Einstein. His dad couldn't believe it. And he was so mad at himself because here he had the chance, a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Albert Einstein, could have asked him anything, and he asked him, how do I get to this building? He knew that he had missed an incredible opportunity to receive something because he failed to recognize who he was speaking with. So who sees where we're going here with this little illustration? Sometimes I think we just don't realize the power and the authority to whom we are speaking. The confidence that we have when asking and, and seeking God for things is is directly in accord with asking and seeking for the right things. God always knows what the right things are. Sometimes we don't. 
And that's where we fail. And we've all done it in our prayer life. We, we need to evaluate both what we ask for and why we're asking for it. Amen? And oftentimes, I think that we tend to view uh, what we tend to view as God's failure to answer our request is oftentimes his answer. The answer was no. We hate it when it's no, right? Raise your hand if you hate it when it's no. You need to be honest. We all hate it when it's no. If we, if we wanted the answer to be no, we wouldn't have asked for it in the first place, right? Oh, I'm going to ask for this. I hope he says no. Anyone prayed a prayer like that before? No, it's just dumb, right? We pray it because we want it, and, and none of us like to hear no. But a lot of times, no is what we need before we just mess ourselves all up. And that brings us to uh, the next point of discussion, this when we pray, what exactly should we expect from God? I think sometimes people have a distorted concept of prayer. They, the, some people think the best way to get God's attention is just to cry out and beg and beg and cry out is as hard as possible. Sometimes we think that if we present our case with enough logic and convincing argument that God will respond in a positive way, like we're in a courtroom or something. But sometimes we might even try to persuade God by buying him off. How many of you have ever prayed one of those, I'm going to try to buy God off prayers? Lord, oh Lord God, if you'll do this in my life, I will do this and this and this and this. And we try to bargain. I tell you, that doesn't work. You know, we, we might promise all sorts of things, make all kinds of vows to get our way, but here's what you need to know. God never responds to our feeble attempts of manipulation. He knows what we're up to better than we do. You're not going to sneak one past God. He's not going to cut a deal with you because you promised something that he knows you probably won't follow through on. So, God most often answers our prayers based on our relationship with him. Not the relationship that we promise we'll have if he meets our need. It's the relationship we have even before the need is met. That's how the prayers are usually, uh, the answers are based to our prayers on that relationship that we have right then and there. We are his sons and his daughters He's our Father who loves us, and He always wants what's best for us. Isn't that great to know? I think it's very calming and assuring to know that the most powerful being in the universe is really concerned for what's best for me. That's fantastic news, isn't it? And yet sometimes we tend to kind of argue with God because we think we know what's better for us. We also need to understand this. What is good for us is not always what we're asking for. We've already kind of established that. Sometimes we ask for things that God knows ultimately is not going to be good for us. They may not be bad things, but God in his infinite wisdom, he already knows what's going to help us and what's going to deter us in, our, in this journey that we're on of seeking him. You know, I've always liked the story, this guy's walking along the beach and he sees this lamp that looks like one of those genie lamps. 
and he picks the thing up. He starts to rub it, and sure enough, out pops this genie. Now, don't go scrambling through your Bibles. The story's not in there. But it makes a point. So the guy's rubbing the bottle, and poof, sure enough, out pops this genie. And the guy, you know, he's just in shock. And the genie says, thank you for releasing me from my bottle. I will now grant you one wish. The guy said, one wish? I thought it was always three wishes. He said, oh, no, that was a long time ago. Not anymore. You get one. So the guy thinks real hard. He thinks real hard. He says, well, he says, I'll tell you what. My wife and I, this past week, we both turned 50 years old. But to be quite honest, I would really love to have a wife that's 25 years younger than me. The genie said, no problem. Made the guy 75 years old. Sometimes you got to be a little bit careful about what you ask for. You might just get it, right? You see how that kind of ties in with our prayer life? Think about what you're asking for. A lot of times God might answer our prayers by saying no. We have to understand that and be willing to accept that. Just because it's not the answer that we weren't looking for, that doesn't mean God hasn't answered our prayers, correct? I think one of the main points here in verses 9 through 11 would be the appropriateness of God's answer to our prayers. Answers that are often very different from what we asked for, but they're always what's right, what's best for us. Some I don't know who wrote this, but someone wrote, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. Who's ever done that? He gave me poverty that I might be wise. Who can relate to that one? Yeah. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. He gave me weakness that I might feel a need for him. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. He gave me life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I had asked for, yet he gave me all that I had hoped for. The phrase that we find in the 11th verse, it says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? We could translate that, how much more will our heavenly Father give us the Holy Spirit when we ask? Because this verse is telling us that the good things spoken of here, they're not necessarily material things. Oftentimes they are spiritual things. They're things of the Spirit. And, and so knowing that, it kind of re removes that Santa Claus dynamic to this particular passage. Where too often people, they, see, they read this portion of Scripture as just this invitation to ask for all sorts of material things in life. Because I'm just going to ask and it has to be given. It says here right in black and white. The real point found here is that God will never withhold anything reasonable from us that helps us accomplish his will in our life. So Jesus is telling us here in these few verses that our prayer life is a very, very personal thing. And he tells us that 
oftentimes it, it should be a private thing. And so let's talk about this aspect of prayer, public prayer versus private prayer. We should have both in our life. But let me read for you Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus said um, in Matthew 6, 5 through 6. He said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Sometimes people tend to put great emphasis on times of public prayer. Public prayer has certainly become a political battleground in recent years. A lot of our nation's history, it shows the importance that had been placed on public prayer. In fact, even our Senate meetings still be open the day with prayer. Yet Jesus, however, seemed to put a lot less emphasis on public prayer, and he put a lot more emphasis on private prayer. And I, I think what Jesus is trying to tell us in this verse is that it's our private prayer life that really reveals the depth of our relationship with him. Not necessarily the shouting out when everyone's around. I think he really gauges our relationship off the time we spend in private with him. It's not that public prayer is, is unimportant. It's just only as important as our private prayer life. It's never going to be more important than our private prayer life. So, I think he's telling us that our public prayers are going to be very, very powerless if our prayer, our private prayer life doesn't really exist. You know, just save your breath, in other words. The Pharisees, they particularly love to make this big scene with their public prayer life, you know, and they attempted to appear very, very spiritual, and they were very loud, you know, last week, I think it was last week, I said, the one thing that really angers God is when we try to act more spiritual than we really are. So that's why he was always button heads with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, they love to be very loud in their public prayer, you know, because everyone knows the louder you pray, the more spiritual you are. Don't get me wrong, I have no problem with people who want to pray loudly as long as the motive isn't just to appear spiritual. The motive needs to come from this, just this passion to speak and communicate with God. Jesus said that these types of people have already received their reward. They got the praise of men, or even if they didn't get praise, they got people looking at them, which was maybe what they were wanting in the first place, and that's, that's their reward. They got some people to look at them. But if it's the praise of God we want, then our private prayer life has to be more dynamic than even our public prayer life. Someone said, I don't know who wrote this either, but I, I like this illustration. They said our prayer life should be like an iceberg. 10% is actually seen 90% is below the surface. 
You know, the whole deal with icebergs was that was discovered you know, a long time ago by the early sailing ships as they were sailing up near the Arctic Circle. These, these, they'd see these relatively small chunks of ice floating in the water that seemed to defy the rules of nature uh, against the big waves and winds that were taking place. They, they just seemed to stay stationary. Sailors couldn't figure out how these little hunks of ice could remain so steadfast when even their large ships were just getting blown around in the wind. Finally, it was realized that what they were seeing with their own eyes was just the tip of the iceberg. The largest portion was well below the surface, went completely unseen. And that's the correlation that this person is making about our prayer life should be like an iceberg. If all we've got is the public part, we're going to get blown around by the winds of the world. We're not going to be steadfast if that's all we've really got. We've got to have that large foundation that's beneath the surface that nobody sees. Jesus talked about rambling on, so to speak, in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. He said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Why don't we have to ramble on and ramble on? Because God already knows our need. He just waits for us to come and ask Him. I think the point that Jesus is making here, He's not teaching against repetitive prayers by any means. He's just talking about rambling on in our prayers. I think that's what he means by babbling. Sometimes the intent of loud babbling is just so others can hear them, makes them feel spiritual again without having to be all that spiritual. But don't confuse the point I'm trying to make here. There's nothing wrong with repeating prayers. As a matter of fact, God oftentimes rewards those for their consistency and their persistence. So if you're being rewarded for persistence, persistence in and of itself means that you've kept on doing something, right? God desires to have fellowship with us and communication with us. This is accomplished through our prayer life. He just doesn't want our prayers to become rituals in our lives. He wants our prayers to be relationship builders. There's a, on my mom's side of the family, there's a lot of Assembly of God preachers. There's a bunch of them. One, uh, one particular family had like four AG preachers out of my mom's cousins. But there's, there's a particular story I've always enjoyed hearing my mom tell. She does, tells it. She's a better storyteller than I am. She's, I get my storytelling from her. She comes to second service. She's not here. But I'm, I'm going to do my best to tell this story about Uncle Jim and Aunt Mabel. They pastored a little country church, and she, I always used to love to hear her tell this story. It just tickles my funny bone. I don't know if you're going to find it funny, but I do. They pastored this little country church, and every Sunday night, you know, they had the big Sunday evening prayer meeting every Sunday night, and there'd be, you know, 40 people there or so, which was good for a small country church on Sunday night. 
And at the end of his sermon, Uncle Jim would always invite everybody to come down to the front. Everyone come down to the front. We want to pray over you, which is a good thing, right? Everybody would come down to the front. And yet every Sunday night, he would turn to Aunt Mabel and say, Mabel, I want you to pray for the people. Now, you know, it's good to pray for people, but if you've got to pray for 40 people, that's a lot of people. That gets a little tiring. And she'd go down and she'd pray for the people, and Uncle Jim would sit on the top step of the, of the stage, kind of like this, as she's praying. He'd sit down and he'd rock back and forth, and he'd go, Granite Lord, Granite Lord. Grand Lord, while she's praying. One Sunday night, he invites everybody down. They all come down. He says, Mabel, would you go pray for the people? And Mabel, without hesitation, looked at him. He says, you know what? I'm tired tonight. You pray for the people. I'll sit here in granite, Lord. <laughs> I love that story. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, if you don't find that funny, you didn't grow up in church. That's all it's all I've... <laughs> You grew up in church. That's funny. That's funny right there. Right there. You go pray for him. I'll grant it, Lord. That's, that's comedy right there. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. I just love that story. Ties in a little bit. God does want us to be persistent in our prayers. In fact, there's a great story about persistence that you find in Luke 18, 1 through 7. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Someone was giving this poor widow a lot of trouble. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He's saying, if this unjust judge will give out proper answers, how much more is your, your Father in heaven going to when you come to him with persistence for the right thing? You know, it's important to recognize that her request was just not, you know, make my life easy, you know, give me this, give me that. It was genuine, it was right. So her persistence in petitioning the judge paid off. She was rewarded with justice that was right. Now, the question that a lot of people have sometimes, well, why does God sometimes require all of this persistence before answering my prayer? I will tell you, I don't know. You thought I was going to have an answer for that one? I don't know why. I can't answer for God. I can only kind of give you my take on the subject. I think sometimes the waiting period helps us to really focus and realize what is actually important in our life. And sometimes we may realize in that time of waiting what we're asking for is really not very important. But if it is, he says, 
Keep asking. Be persistent. Secondly, when we go through a process like this, I think it helps us in the future to be sensitive when we see that need in someone else's life. And we can be an encourager. We can be strength to those people. And finally, I think it, it just helps us become better fighters and not quitters. You know, we are all part of the army of God. Well, if we're going to be in the army of God, we need to be fighters, not quitters. Amen? Sometimes we have to be taught how to fight. If, if, if everything we asked for was just laid in our lap, we wouldn't know how to fight for anything. How many of you know some children like that, maybe? How many of you know some adults like that? I just, sometimes folks never grow out of that. We have to learn to be fighters, not quitters. Persistent prayer makes us much more resolute in our walk with Jesus. It gives us uh, more drive. It gives us more just sticking power. I think the main, one of the main points here is that when we face a storm in life, by all means, keep seeking and don't quit until the answer comes one way or the other. So Jesus is not discouraging us from repeating our prayers. He encourages us to be persistent, especially when we're praying for the right things. The next question people have, well, how long does it take to constitute persistence? Until the answer comes. That's the answer. Until the answer comes. And finally, we have the luxury of praying to a God who is always responsive. Can you imagine the misconstrued faith that millions of people have on planet Earth that are praying to some little statue of stone or something? Wow. Boy, if they could just divert and redirect that faith toward a living God who is responsive, wouldn't that be something? We, all, we have the luxury of praying to a God that is always responsive in our life. Jesus makes the point that God will be responsive to us when we come to him in prayer. Although sometimes it needs to be persistent prayer. But it, there are times when it is true we have not because we ask not. I think sometimes people will, sometimes we've all probably been guilty of this. We'll offer up prayers even though we don't really think anything's probably going to happen. Anybody want to admit you've ever done that in your life? You've prayed a prayer, but kind of in the back of your mind, well, I'm going I'm to go through the motions and I'm going to pray, but I doubt if anything's going to happen. There's four of you that were willing to admit you've actually done that, even though I know probably all of you have done it. If you've never done that, that means you've, you don't pray. So you might as well come clean on my first question, okay? You know, we've probably all been guilty at different points in our life of going through the motions of prayer, but kind of thinking, eh, there's probably nothing going to happen here. I'll tell you, prayer is a very powerful force in our life, and we ourselves are the biggest losers when we just don't pray. And I'll tell you, that attitude of, well, 
Yeah, I prayed. Nothing's probably going to happen. Satan loves it when we're thinking that. I tell you, Satan absolutely, if he can't get you to stop coming to church and, and, and feebly attempting to serve God in whatever way that means, he just wants you to think that your prayers are not going to make a difference. Satan wants you to believe that your prayers are not going to make a difference. And he's probably been successful in all of our lives at one point or another. God has ordained it that prayer is the vehicle that allows him to work in our life. We have to understand prayer makes a difference. God is a, still a God of miracles. Do you believe that? I've heard people say, well, God doesn't perform miracles, you know, like he used to in the old days. You know what I say? God performs way more miracles today than he did in biblical times because there's way, way more people that need a miracle. There's way more miracles taking place today because there's so many more people who need a miracle. I wonder how many miracles in our lives we have missed out on just because of our lack of prayer. We had not because we asked not for the right things. You know, how many times have we suffered needlessly or gone through very difficult times just because we didn't pray? You know, before we close this morning, I want to, uh, I want to, I'm going to go to the piano. I want to sing a song. I sang this at my grandfather, grandmother's funeral. She, it was her favorite song. It was written by a guy named Joseph Scriven. Anybody recognize that name? Joseph Scriven was born in Ireland in 1820. Anybody around in 1820? He was attending... Trinity Christian College in Dublin, Ireland, and he was engaged to be married. The evening before their wedding, his fiancée drowned. Not long after that, he moved to Canada to become a teacher. He eventually became engaged to a, a woman named Eliza Roach. Tragedy struck again just months before their wedding when Eliza passed away from influenza. Joseph Scriven used these tragedies and hardships in life to, to empathize with the elderly and the poor, and he used much of his free time cutting firewood for the stoves of those who were handicapped or elderly in order to keep them warm during the harsh Canadian winters. And Joseph Scriven, who also experienced poor health and many financial struggles, he wrote his famous hymn in 1855 to comfort his mother who was suffering in her last days. He never sought to be noticed for it, and his authorship was only discovered by, accidentally, uh, by accident shortly before his death. And so I want to come this morning, guys, if you can crank on the piano mic. What a privilege to carry 
to God in prayer. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sin and grief to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, and all the needless pain we bear. Just because we do not carry everything to God. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, and all the needless pain we bear. Just because we Just give it all to God. Give it all to God. Give it all to God. Amen. What a great, what a great song. What a great uh, promise from God that he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Just a few closing points. God answers prayers, but first they have to be prayed. God answers prayers, but they first need to be prayed. Secondly, God is a responsive God and he never gives us less than the very best. Is he going to give a stone when we ask for bread? No. Will he ignore a need or a deadline in our life? No, he will not. In fact, if God hasn't answered yet, it's because he's doing something that we don't fully realize. But God never withholds anything without purpose. No earthly father would do this to his children that he loved, how much more does our heavenly Father love us, his word says. So prayer is what makes our relationship with God a personal one. Amen? Your relationship with God is only as strong as your prayer. 
You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.